This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. All right, it's a great sports night to be sitting in for Larry and Gordon. It is Pat O'Keefe with you for a couple of hours here. Happy to be joining you on ESPN New York tonight on this Thursday, May 12th. A great sports day. We've got so much going on, even right now. Got the Yankees and the White Sox, top of the fifth inning. Yankees looking to keep their winning ways going. A 6-4 to four lead over Chicago. One of the uh, expected better teams in the American League. The Mets already won earlier today, 4-1 to over Washington. Another series victory for them. You've got the NBA playoffs going on right now. Miami into the Eastern Conference Finals. Phoenix looking to move on to the Western Conference Finals. They're playing the Dallas Mavericks as we speak. Of course, you have the Stanley Cup playoffs continuing, including a very, very big Game 6 right here on 98.7 ESPN New York tomorrow as the Rangers look to once again keep their season alive in Pittsburgh. And despite everything I just said, all of that great sports activity that was going on throughout the night, I, if I had to bet the ratings for just announcing when NFL teams would play each other and where and at what time, a two-hour production on ESPN2 probably outdrew all of those things, which just shows the power of the NFL. And that's become a holiday. You know, first, it was amazing at how much the NFL draft kind of became a national holiday for sports fans. And now the schedule release, and, you know, the NFL and their marketing ways just keeps figuring out ways how to drum up interest in their league. You have the free agency, you have the draft, and now you have the schedule release. And this got promoted back a couple of weeks ago when we were all watching the NFL draft. And the next date to circle on your calendar was Thursday, May 12th, 8 p.m. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, part of the broadcast, a uh, new Monday night football lineup. You heard the update at the top of the hour. The first Monday night football game of the season will be Denver and Seattle. So that's very juicy. Russell Wilson returning to Seattle for the first time in his first game with his new team. But here in New York, you start to wonder what could this mean for the Giants and the Jets. Um, I want to start with the Giants because we know, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that not much has gone right for the Giants pretty much since Rob Gronkowski was unable to catch Tom Brady's Hail Mary in the end zone at the end of Super Bowl 46, and the Giants won their second Super Bowl championship over the New England Patriots in a span of five seasons. Since then, not much has gone right for this franchise at all. I've got to say, as I'm looking at this Giants schedule for 2022, which begins less than four months from today, by the way, September 11th, so that's less than four months from right now, we'll have football here in New York. This is, I can't remember... A more, I'm not going to use the word easier because you don't know what these teams are going to be. You don't know who's going to be available when. But this has to be the friendliest schedule I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it really is unbelievable. I mean, I keep going down and like, okay, where's the rough stretch? Where's the five losses in a row where they're going to be non-competitive? I mean, let's be honest. The Giants aren't a good team, so that still might happen. But the way the schedule broke for the Giants... 
is just unbelievable that you could actually sit here on May 12th and think, God, they actually have a chance to be playing meaningful football games in December. I'm not even kidding. If you haven't had a chance to go through it game by game, and it's always fun to do that when the schedule does come out, they open on September 11th against Tennessee on the road, and then they come home immediately for a three-game homestand. Carolina, a Monday night football game against Dallas, and Chicago. So basically, after opening up in Tennessee, they spend about a month at home. Two of those three games, very winnable. Carolina and Chicago. And let's be honest, Giants always play the Cowboys tougher than they do other teams. And I don't think the Cowboys are that good. Then you go to Green Bay, or excuse me, then you play Green Bay in London on October 9th. Then you come home for Baltimore. And then the schedule softens again. Yes, two road games, but you're at Jacksonville and you're at Seattle. Those are going to be two of the worst teams in the NFL. And then you get into your bye week. Now, the Giants had the option to take their bye week after the London game against the Packers. They chose not to. They wanted it further back in their schedule, which is where it landed the first weekend of November is when they have their bye week. Now, remember, you go into the bye at Jacksonville and at Seattle. You come out of the bye with two home games against the Texans and the Lions. I'm not even kidding. I mean, it's almost like they gave Brian Dayball a pen and a paper and said, hey, who do you want to play this year? And then, this is tasty. We already talked about the Monday night football game at home against Dallas in September. How about Thanksgiving in Dallas? It's been a while since we've seen that. 4.30, Fox, Giants-Cowboys, Thanksgiving Day. That could be tasty, especially, and we'll go through where I think the Giants could be at that point, but especially if the Giants actually have something to play for. Then if you play Thanksgiving, you usually have a week and a half off before the stretch run of the season. Now, who haven't I mentioned so far? This is where the schedule gets really interesting. There's a couple familiar teams I haven't mentioned. haven't mentioned the Washington Commanders. haven't mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants don't face either of those two division opponents before the month of December, which is just bizarre. Over the final seven weeks of the season, the Giants play five games against NFC East opponents. From Thanksgiving on, their entire NFC, NFC East schedule is in that time frame, except for the early Monday night football game against Dallas. So after Thanksgiving, home against Washington, home against Philadelphia, then you go to Washington, then you go to Minnesota on Christmas Eve, and then the calendar flips to January. New Year's Day, you host Indianapolis and Matt Ryan, and then you finish the regular season at Philadelphia. I got to be honest with you. This is about as soft a landing spot as you could get for Joe Shane for Brian Dayball, for, most importantly, Daniel Jones and this young Giants team that we have no idea what they're going to be. But we liked what they did in the draft. You like the fact that Joe Shane has a plan. I like the sound bites from Brian Dayball at his introductory press conference. I don't know much about him beyond that, other than he was part of a very successful offense the last couple of years in Buffalo. But let's just go through this real quick, and we'll get to the Jets, I promise. We'll give them equal time as they deserve. Let's go through this real quick. Let's just break this up into chunks, all right? Let's, let's start with September. You've got three games in September. At Tennessee, at home against Carolina, at home against Dallas. Just give me one and two. Give me one and beat Carolina. I don't care what you do against Tennessee. I'll give you a loss against Dallas. Just don't bury yourself at 0-3. Give yourself a chance to play meaningful games. If you can go one and two in those first three games, then we get into October. 
You host the Bears. That's a game you should win. You go to London to play the Packers. Okay. Home against Baltimore. Okay. Probably going to lose those two games. But then you get those two road games. Then you got to play road games. So better to play bad teams on the road where you still have a chance to win even though you're on the road. And you go to Jacksonville and you go to Seattle. So can you go 3-2 and two in October? Why not? You beat the Bears at home. You win at Jacksonville. And you win at Seattle. You go 1-2 and two in September. You go 3-2 and two in October. And all of a sudden, you're 4-4. Four and four. <laughs> We're celebrating 4-4. Four and four. But I'm serious. That would be such an accomplishment for this team. Because the expectations, or not even the expectations. Forget about expectations. The hope is to be playing meaningful games in December. So how do we get to that point? All right. Jacksonville and Seattle on the road. Then your bye week, the first weekend of November. Out of the bye, home games against Houston and Tech, uh, Houston and Detroit. Can we win those two games at home? Giants, can you win those two games at home? Well, if you do, and you are 4-4 four and four going into the bye, then if you're sitting down as a Giants fan on Thanksgiving to watch the Giants and the Cowboys, the Giants' record when they take the field that Thursday would be 6-4. and four. Six and four on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys on Fox, 430 kickoff. I mean, if you're a Giants fan, you would, you would run to sign for that. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? And then you come home with, okay, familiar opponents. Philadelphia is good, but we don't know about the quarterback. Washington's no good. Minnesota's solid. I think Indianapolis is going to be good with Matt Ryan. But if you could get to Thanksgiving at 6 and 4, that guarantees that you're going to be playing meaningful games in the month of December. And that would be a huge victory. Even if you lose that Thanksgiving game to Dallas and you fall to 6 and 5. Washington, Philadelphia, Washington, Minnesota. Can you go 3 and 1 there? Can you go 3 and 1 there? Even if you lose to Indy and at Philly coming home, that's nine and eight, folks. That's nine and eight. And every way you look at the schedule, obviously it's a 17 game schedule now. You're going to play nine games at home. You get seven road games and you get one in London. So nine games at home and you only have to go on the road for a true road game seven times. Yeah, the London game is a game you're probably going to lose anyway because it's against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Now the Jets, real quick on the Jets because we're going to transition to hockey in a minute. We've got a special guest coming up after the break. But the Jets schedule is really interesting. They also start on September 11th. They start at home. The first four games against the Jets are against teams from the same division, but not the same division as the Jets. They open with four straight games against the entire AFC North. You host Baltimore, you go to Cleveland, then you host Cincinnati, which, as we know, just played in the Super Bowl. We also know that the Jets and Mike White beat them last year. And then you go to Pittsburgh. So after week four, you're done with the AFC North. Now, the Jets don't have a brutal stretch, but they also don't have a soft landing spot either. Okay, the Jets' schedule is interesting. The, the softest spot for the Jets are the final four weeks where you host Detroit, you host Jacksonville, you go to Seattle, and you go to Miami. Now that right there, look, the end of the second year for Zach Wilson, the end of the year for this young roster, by then they won't be rookies anymore as they say. 
They'll have hopefully 13, 14, 15 games of NFL experience under their belts. And you'll be playing against inferior opponents. So I don't know if anybody can be considered inferior when matching up against the Jets, but let's just say beatable opponents in Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, and Miami. If you can finish 3-1, and one, then can you find a way to get five wins in the rest of your schedule? The other 13 games, the first 13 games, can you find a way to win five of them? Even if you enter that final four-game stretch with a record of 5-8 and eight if you're the Jets, and then you finish with Detroit and Jacksonville at home, at Seattle, which isn't going to be any good, and at Miami. If you can win three out of those four, then if you're five and eight, you finish three and one, that is an eight and nine season. And again, unless I'm missing something, what Jet fan wouldn't sign for that this year? The expectations can't possibly be higher than eight and nine. Because you know what eight and nine means? It also means that you're probably playing important games in December. You know, eight and nine in December gets you at least on the graphic of in the hunt. And that's progress for the Jets this season. So really interesting stuff with the NFL schedule. Uh, we'll take a look at a couple of other things. That My question is, does this reset expectations for either the Giants or the Jets? For me, it resets expectations for the Giants. Now, I understand we knew who the opponents were going to be based on where they finished last year. That came out months ago. But just seeing it laid out, September, October, November, December, January, just seeing the 17 games laid out, and you go through peaks and valleys and you go through these stretches, it really does start to come to life. And I got to tell you, I have not seen many friendlier schedules than that of the New York Giants. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch gears to the New York Rangers. A huge game six tomorrow night at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh. Rangers for the second straight game in this series will try to keep their season alive. Uh, my good friend Ed Cohen, voice of the Knicks right here on 98.7 ESPN New York and the MSG Radio Network. He's going to be on the call for us for the Rangers game tomorrow. And after the break, he's going to join me. We'll take a look at this Game 6 matchup, Rangers and Penguins, which you can catch right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. All right, it's ESPN New York tonight. Pat O'Keefe in for Larry and Gordon on this Thursday night. Busy Thursday night. Update from Chicago. Top of the six now. Yankees still lead the White Sox 6-4. to four. A couple of Giancarlo Stanton two-run home runs pacing the Yankees' offense so far tonight. But let's switch and talk about tomorrow's huge game six, which you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This first-round series that's been so entertaining between the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins continues after the Rangers' 5-3 win last night. Now, if you were listening to the Michael K show here earlier, you heard Don LaGreca say that, unfortunately, he has tested positive for COVID and will not be able to call Game 6 or Game 7 if there is one in this series. Uh, we've got a pretty good pinch hitter in the MSG Radio Network coming out of the bullpen, and he's kind enough to give me a few minutes now. Uh, the voice of the New York Knicks here on 98.7, Ed Cohen. Ed, I know you're in uh, full prep mode for tomorrow night's game, so I appreciate a couple of minutes tonight. Hey, Pat. I'll do my best to be like Lenny Harris and deliver in a pinch-hitting role. Uh, but hopefully by the time we get to halftime or the fourth quarter, I might have mixed that up. I guess we're doing <laughs> hockey right now, basketball. <laughs> it should be great. And obviously coming off a terrific win on uh, Wednesday night, I think uh, it's what you dream of as a fan and certainly you know to fill in for Kenny and Don and obviously wishing 
you know, Don the best in his recovery. But, uh, hey, you try to steal a game six on the road, you want to get back to the Garden for game seven. Rangers will try to do that tomorrow night. I mean, what an opportunity for them. It did not look like that opportunity would present itself as we were all watching this game last night. But the way they were able to flip that momentum late in the second into the third, I know Sidney Crosby, who's been so good in this series, his absence certainly had an impact on that. But this isn't a game that the Rangers lucked out. They took that game not only late in the second period, but into the third, and they really outplayed Pittsburgh down the stretch in that game last night. Pat, it was unbelievable. I mean, number one, you just think about how the garden sounded at that moment. It's 2 nothing, and not a lot's going right. And you could even make a case that Shesterkin was really keeping them in the game. And all of a sudden, uh, you're not playing well for almost 35 minutes. You're not generating enough chances, and boom, you get that first goal, and it unleashes an avalanche. You have three in less than three minutes. All of a sudden, you have the lead. Uh, you give it up, but... Uh, the garden was back, and you could just see what the kid line was able to do uh, and generate that great chance for Heal and take the lead in the power play was huge. And I think, you know, to add to that, you think about the blown leads throughout this series in the Rangers, certainly in the first couple of games, uh, but to hold on to that lead after taking the lead at 4-3 to three and making it stick, and of all people, Lindgren giving you that empty netter uh, to cap off his return, uh, that was a huge turning point. What can they do tomorrow? Will Crosby be available? We're going to find out. But what they did down the stretch to defend that one-goal lead uh, is something that they hadn't been doing consistently throughout the series. You mentioned Lindgren and him coming back after being injured in Game 1. We weren't sure his status for the remainder of the series. Clearly still hobbled, um, but what an effort for him. And those are the stories that you look back on from playoff runs, no matter how long they go, that you remember. Not just injuries, but obviously the last time the Rangers came from 3-1 down against Pittsburgh, the rallying point was Marty San Luis in 2014 when he lost his mother and he helped them come from three games down. Not comparing the two situations, but Lindgren coming back last night, really giving them that boost, that seems to be something this team can rally around. No question. Uh, you look at, obviously, him going down and not playing games two through four, and they won game two. Uh, when a guy goes down, it's next man up, and you find a way to piece it together and play and win without him. Uh, but at the same time, when you get somebody back like Ryan Lindgren, who you paired him with Adam Fox, uh, gives you so much. And those two, uh, when they're out there together, obviously uh, there's a great connection. They're used to playing on the ice together. Uh, sometimes when you miss that play, all of a sudden he comes back. Uh, it really brings you back at a time where you desperately need it. So it was huge. I mean, to get nearly 20 minutes out of him. Uh, and, and by the same token, just based on how Gerard Gallant structured the lineup with seven defensemen, having that insurance policy and not needing uh, to go to Nemeth um, until that late shift in the third period um, says a lot about what Lindgren was able to give them last night. You mentioned the kid line. They've been their best line, let's be honest, since the first game of this series. And, you know, I think guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews have kind of ruined expectations for top draft picks in the NHL because they came into the league as 30, 40 goal scorers. So the regular season numbers, you know, not there yet for Lafreniere and Kako. But it's really interesting to me and that those two guys specifically, this is the best over a long period of time that I think they've played in their careers. Pat, left to right, 20 years old, 
22 years old and 21 years old on the right side with Kako. I mean, that's unbelievable. And, you know, guys who are still growing, getting better, you know, Heedle, it was interesting to hear him speak after the game last night because he's acknowledged this has been a tough season. And to have that moment last night where you're capitalizing on the power play and scoring the biggest goal, at least right now, to date this season, uh, speaks volumes. And, look, you hope that these guys, uh, no matter what happens tomorrow night, hopefully it gets to a game seven, uh, there's going to be something that's taken away from this experience. It's only going to benefit them in the future in terms of their playoff production and what they can do on this stage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's number one, you love the nickname. I mean, the kid line is just perfect. And yeah, you're kind of seeing the future a little bit in terms of the postseason right now um, in these playoffs. But you obviously love the fact that they have played so well the last few games and certainly um, you know, bringing them back in the series last night. Joined by Ed Cohen, of course, the voice of the Knicks on uh, the MSG Radio Network and here on 98.7. Pinch hitting for Don LaGreca tomorrow as the Rangers play the Penguins, game six of their first-round series in Pittsburgh. Um, the other thing, Ed, we're at this point. Obviously, the team is still alive. You haven't had the monster breakouts from the top guys on the roster. Now, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, they've had their moments. They've been good. They haven't been invisible but they haven't been dominant like they can be and like they tend to be. I think the Zibanejad point in particular, Pat, is huge. I mean, he's still looking for his first goal. It was a terrific season. Um, if he gets going, that changes everything. Um, it, it adds so much to what they've already done, um, where they need to get to, you know. And listen, they've spoken about needing to get the puck on net, you know, get it through not just, um, don't just get a good opportunity. Get it onto Domingue. You know, make him work. Uh, and they started to do a better job of that late in the second period last night. Um, you love to see it from the lines that are produced recently, but at the same time, uh, you know, you get Panarin going, and obviously he's drawn a ton of attention. Uh, Zibanejad as well. Uh, that's a game changer. And tomorrow, if Crosby doesn't play, the opportunity is there to be the aggressors. You can't be patient. Uh, you can't wait for the perfect opportunity. Uh, it has to get through to the third-string goaltender on the other side, who probably was in the Rangers' head uh, heads early in the series. Uh, but right now you have a chance to get this back to the Garden for Game 7. It starts with your top guys. Uh, it has to be consistent start to finish tomorrow night. And, of course, the other top guy is the guy in net. And what a series it's been for him because the first two games, Igor Shesterkin played as well in goal as maybe anyone ever has. And then he gets pulled early two games in a row. Uh, last night, like you said, Ed, kept them in the game for long stretches. But, you know, I think of the Rangers goalie situation like the Yankees closer situation. I mean, you know, from 96 until Mariano Rivera retired in 2013, they never had to worry about it. And even when Rivera retired, the Yankees have never really had a bad closer situation since, whether it's David Robertson or Roldis Chapman. You look at the Rangers, you have Hank for 15 years. He moves on. And then you bring in this kid who right now is the best goalie in the NHL. I mean, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. No doubt. You know, Pat, here's one in just going through the notes. And obviously, anytime you prepare for a game, especially in the playoffs, you know this, you get a stack of game notes, trends, statistics, 
uh, in any sport. But one that I found interesting is there's six Rangers goalies who've appeared in a game seven. Lundqvist, Mike Richter, John Van Beesbrook, Eddie Jockerman, and then going further back, Chuck Rayner and Burt Gardner back in 1939. Uh, six, you know, and obviously you think of Hank and the amount of game sevens he played in. Uh, certainly Richter played in a bunch, Van Beesbrook a few, Jockerman a few, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think how steady they've been at that position uh, for an extended period of time. And look, this young man, and, and let's be honest, he's not that young. He's 26. He's young by NHL years. Um, but what he did games one and two, and conversely, what he's going to have to show tomorrow in game six is that, you know, it's him against the city of Pittsburgh in many ways. And he has a lot to prove in how he starts the game, uh, how he plays in that, because games three and four, um, for many reasons, uh, it went downhill fast. And obviously, Gerard Gallant gambled after one period of game three, and it worked until it didn't, and they gave the lead back up in the third. Uh, game four, the second period, obviously, was one the Rangers, I'm sure, put out of their systems and want to forget. But certainly, look, this young man, 26 years old, young, old, whatever you want to call him, uh, what an amazing season, and he has a chance to really show um, that he's – top-level elite in the NHL beyond just the regular season. Uh, we'll see what he can deliver tomorrow night. Ed, you and I know it's not about the announcers in these games, and as you said, we, we do hope that Don LaGreca returns to the mic and gets better very soon. Um, you'll be filling in for him tomorrow for game number six. This is quite a spot for you. Obviously, you're the voice of the Knicks for quite some time here on the MSG Radio Network. Your first Rangers game, if I'm not mistaken, for the network, and you walk into a game six elimination. Pretty incredible, Pat. I mean, I guess I haven't thought about it too much along those lines, but, you know, when you put it that way, it, it really is surreal. And, you know, obviously, you know, I, I found out that there was a chance during the game last night, and I just put my son to bed and was, you know, just getting into the first period, and all of a sudden you're looking up, it's one nothing, 2 nothing. You really don't think it's going to come into play, just – how it was going and all of a sudden there's a three goal burst and boom uh and even you know onto the third period to to get that you know tiebreaker from Hedl was huge but yeah i think you know this experience preparing for tomorrow night um i felt like a little kid again you know and and, and listen it's it's a huge game and, and i want to put a disclaimer out to rangers fans you know uh you have two of the best announcers covering games on a regular basis in Kenny Albert and Don LaGreca. And, you know, this is important for people listening and driving in their cars. They have to know what's happening. And tomorrow, myself, Pete Stamkowski, we're going to do our best to give you a great show uh, and make it feel like any game six in a playoff series. We want to bring our best. Uh, Stemmer obviously will. I'll do my best to keep up. But uh, at the very least, no, it's it's been really exciting. And I just... I can't wait to experience not just playoff hockey, but you know, Rangers playoff hockey tomorrow night. It's it really is a dream. Yeah, well, we know Stemmer is no stranger to Rangers playoff drama, so we know he'll be on his A game, and that, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun listening to the two of you. Uh, we know you will, Ed, and uh, thanks for a couple of minutes, and we're looking forward to Game Six. It's going to be a lot of fun. Pat, always a pleasure. Thanks, man.
All right. Talk to you later. Ed Cohen, voice of the Knicks on the MSG Radio Network and here on 98.7 ESPN New York, filling in for Don LaGreca tomorrow. Game six, Rangers-Penguins from Pittsburgh. Rangers, once again, need to win to stay alive and force a game seven, which will make Igor Shesterkin the seventh Rangers goalie to play in a game seven. And that would be on Sunday at Madison Square Garden. And what a scene that would be. Look, it didn't look like game six was going to happen last night. Four minutes left in the second period. Rangers trailing two to nothing. And then three successive goals in two minutes and 42 seconds. And even after they give up that quick goal to tie it right before the end of the second period, Philip Heedle giving them the lead, the goal counting this time early in the third. The Rangers went and took that game. Were they helped because Sidney Crosby, who's been the best player in this series, was not on the ice? Absolutely. But that's part of the game. The NHL doesn't look like they're going to punish Jacob Truba for the hit. It was a hit. It's hockey. It's a physical game. Crosby left. We don't know if he's going to be able to play tomorrow. And if he doesn't play tomorrow, like Ed said, what an opportunity that is for this team. I mean, they were 25 minutes from summer vacation, trailing 2-0 in the second period. And then Adam Fox, who's been great scoring goals, which isn't normally his role with this team, Gets the ball rolling last night. Lafreniere, that kid line that we talked about, how good have they been? How exciting have they been? And just like that, you're going back to Pittsburgh for a game six with Igor Shesterkin. The goalie matchup clearly in your favor. And hey, you're still alive. We've seen stranger things happen. I think the stat was after they fell behind three games to one that 20 times... Out of 326 instances, a team that fell behind three games to one came back to win the series. The Rangers have done it twice within the past decade. They did it back-to-back years. They did it against these Penguins in 2014, the Marty San Luis series, when they ultimately went to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then they turned around and did it the very next year, falling behind 3-1 to against the Caps and then winning the last three games That year, they all ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals and losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So our live coverage for Game 6 will begin tomorrow, 6.30, right here on 98.7 ESPN, New York, 7 o'clock. Ed Cohen, Pete Stemkowski have the call for the Rangers and the Penguins from Pittsburgh. Uh, we got plenty going on tonight. We'll uh, keep an eye on the Yankees. We'll hear from uh, Buck Showalter after another Mets win, another Mets series win. Yankees are, by the way, trying to get off on the right foot in their series against the Chicago White Sox. NFL schedules released. One team in the NBA is already moving on to the conference finals. That is the top-seeded Miami Heat in the East. Yanks lead the White Sox 6-4. to four. And we'll open up the phone lines. Thanks to Ed Cohen. Fun opportunity for him. You know, obviously, we we can't wait to hear Don LaGreca back on not only the Michael K Show, but on Rangers uh, radio broadcasts. Hopefully, those will continue beyond the first round. That'll be up to the Rangers. Game six tomorrow night right here. Game seven, if necessary, will be Sunday at Madison Square Garden. I spent a lot of time on the Giants schedule at the beginning of the show, a little bit on the Jets. Let me jump through the Jets again real quick. Oddly, they start off their first four games against the entire AFC North, against Baltimore at home, at Cleveland, home Cincinnati, and then at Pittsburgh. 
and then the Jets host Miami, and then a two-game road trip at Green Bay and at Denver, and then they host New England on October 30th. And let me just jump in there, all right? New England went to the playoffs last year. Sure, they were blown out in the wild card round. Mac Jones, nice quarterback, solid rookie season. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen, all right? Can you beat New England at home on October 30th? I'm not even asking you to go up to Gillette Stadium and win there. Can you beat New England at home? God, that would just say so much about this Jets team. If by then, that's week what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's week eight. By the eighth game, you're halfway through the schedule. You're seeing the progression you want to see from Zach Wilson. You're seeing the progression you want to see from this exciting rookie class. Week 8, New England comes in off a two-game road trip. Fans haven't seen them in about three weeks. Can you beat New England on the 30th of October? That would be wonderful. Back-to-back home games, New England, and then the first week of November, you play Buffalo, and then the bye on November 13th, and then you go to New England. I'm not asking you to win that one. Just beat the Patriots at MetLife Stadium on October 30th. That would be wonderful. And then a home game against Chicago at Minnesota at Buffalo. That's a tough back-to-back. And then again, the last four games, you should be able to go 3-1. and one. That shouldn't be off the table. Home Detroit, home Jacksonville, at Seattle, at Miami. And again, if you can go 3-1 and one in your last four games if you're the Jets then you've just got to figure out how to get five wins in the first 13 games. Can you win at Pittsburgh with the young Kenny Pickett at quarterback? Why not? Can you beat Miami at home? I already talked about the New England game. I'm pleading for them to win that one. Can you beat Justin Fields in Chicago at home in late November? Can you win in Minnesota? That'll be tough. But these are all games that you don't say, oh, no way. No way. You know, I look at at Buffalo second week of December. Yeah, I'm not counting on that to be in the win column. All right, but there's games out there like at Minnesota first week of December. Why not? Kirk Cousins throws three interceptions, two to Sauce Gardner, one of them returned for a touchdown. Speaking of which, the 2022 New York Jets schedule, as I just pointed out, is here from now until Monday, May 16th at 9.59 a.m., Visa cardholders can get early access to purchase single home game tickets before they go on sale to the general public by visiting nyjets.com slash tickets. Terms apply and be listening to the Michael K show tomorrow to learn how you can qualify to win a pair of Jets season tickets right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Again, you know the opponents. Okay, but now that you see them in order and you have the entire schedule laid out, you could start to visualize. I was doing the read, Jake, and I see Aaron Judge getting high fives. Did he hit a home run? He did. And you know, when Stanton and Judge hit a home run in the same game, the yes. Yankees usually find themselves I with believe a lot it's of success. 19 and 1 all time before tonight. And now Stanton's hit two tonight. And Aaron Judge has given the Yankees a 7 to 4 lead in the top of the seventh inning. He's got 11 home runs. That is the most in Major League Baseball. Anthony Rizzo is in a tie for second with Mike Trout and others with nine. All right, let's go to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Just to update you on other items of this evening, you had the Miami Heat eliminating the 76ers from the playoffs. 99-90, Miami wins. And Dallas is up by 15 at halftime against Phoenix. The Mavs looking to keep their season alive. All right, let's go to Eric in Brooklyn checking in. Eric, how you doing tonight? 
Hey, doing great. How are you doing? Today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. So, um, first off, I just want to start off, you know, let's go Rangers. I'm really excited for tomorrow. Uh, just wanted to get that out there. I'm huge game. Really excited. But, but the reason for my call, uh, I was really sad today just to, uh, you know, see what Embiid has to go through. I mean, the guy is so talented, and, and the narrative on, you know, on ESPN recently has, has been, you know, comparing him to Shaq. And, you know, I get a lot of flack from my, from my buddies uh, over here. Just uh, I, I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, in 2022's NBA, you want, or I personally would rather want Joel Embiid over Shaq. And they call me crazy. And I'm like, listen, you need a guy who faces the floor, a guy who has some touch, a guy who can shoot, a guy who can get you a bucket, a guy can hit, who can hit a free throw, a guy who can hit a three. Shaq, everybody knows Shaq is obviously one of the most dominant guys, if not the most dominant guys in the league. But I'm asking you, you know, am I crazy? Am I crazy for wanting him beat over Shaq? I mean, I, I don't think I am. I think the game has evolved. I think it's a little bit different that you, you, need, you need floor spacing, you need shooting. Uh, what, what do you think? I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, what, Shaq's 50 years old right now, right? He would probably only average like 22 a game in the NBA if he were playing right now. So, yeah, I mean, Embiid averaged 30 a game this year. 50-year-old Shaq would probably average like 22 a game. So I, I don't think you're crazy at all. Is, is that what you're asking me, Eric? Listen, listen. Even if you took Shaq, 2003, 2002 Lakers Shaq, I don't know what kind of Shaq that you want. You know, the one that gives you the baby. I don't want the Boston Celtics Shaq. Can I, I, can I vote him off right away? That- <laughs> you, can vote, you can vote off Fat Shaq all you want. You can vote. You can get Shaq as, as in shape as he ever can be, even though I know on the Lakers he was about 360 in some reports or something like that, right? So, listen, I mean, uh, all jokes aside, I think you want shooting. You want the ability to pass. You want the ability to hit a free throw. You want the ability to hit a, a post jumper. And you need threes sometimes more than you need to with and and am i crazy all jokes aside come on let me know please i don't want to call you crazy we just met you seem like a nice guy you're a passionate guy i just don't agree with you eric and and here's why all right um shaq was the most dominant force in the nba since wilt chamberlain who put up numbers that are just stupid I was telling Jake and Jacob the story during the commercial break that I was doing the Knicks 76ers game on March 2nd with Brendan Brown, our great color analyst. And Embiid uh, obviously was playing that night. He went to the foul line, which he does more than anybody in the NBA this season. And he's about an 80% free throw shooter. I made the point that unlike when Shaq was in his prime and people had the hack of Shaq to put him at the free throw line because we knew he couldn't hit free throws, you couldn't do that to Joel Embiid because he hits his free throws at an 80% clip. Um, <laughs> Brendan almost jumped down my throat because he was coaching in the NBA at the time and uh, astutely pointed out that when he was an assistant coach, I believe at the time with the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Jersey Nets around that era, uh, that Shaq was by far the most dominant player that he had ever seen. And, and the message was clear. Yes, Embiid had a fantastic season. Uh, but from someone who was in the league at that time and working in the league at this time, that comparison really shouldn't be made. The Shaq comparison, the player who I think his game is so similar to Shaq just in terms of sheer physicality is Giannis. And I know the body types are different, but look, Giannis, I know he had two huge three-pointers last night, but Giannis's game is power. It's physicality. It's inside. 
Now, he does it different than Shaq. He's wiry. He can get around guys inside. He's got those long arms. While Shaq would literally just overpower you and bludgeon you with your size. Embiid had a great season. He should have been a top three MVP candidate, and he was. He shouldn't have been the MVP, and he wasn't. He was the first center this year to lead the NBA in scoring since Shaquille O'Neal 20 years ago. But to say that you would want Joel Embiid more than Shaquille O'Neal, I just can't get on board with that. I know the game is different. I know three-pointers are a bigger part of the game. But Shaq, excuse me, Embiid is not Dirk Nowitzki from downtown either. All right, He's not shooting him like Steph Curry. Embiid goes out to shoot a three-pointer. Yeah, he's a good shooter for a big man. But if you're playing against the 76ers and he steps outside and starts firing away from downtown, you're thrilled. You're thrilled. Aaron Boone going to the bullpen in the bottom of the seventh with a runner on and nobody out. Jonathan Lewisaga coming in for Lucas Lidke. Yankees leading the White Sox 7-4. Yanks are starting to play against some good teams. That was one of the knocks on them when they got off to the fast start was other than the Blue Jays, who the Yankees, as we know, have handled. Other than the Blue Jays, they hadn't beaten a team with a winning record all season long. Now, the White Sox record just 15-14, and 14, but they've started to play much better. They've had a lot of injury issues. They're supposed to be the best team in the American League Central. They went to the playoffs last year. This is a legitimately good team in the American League game one of a four-game series, and the Yankees have a 7-4 lead. It's the first game all season long that a member of the Yankees' five-man starting rotation did not start. The reason is the doubleheader on Sunday against the Rangers when the Yankees had to double up that day. So they brought up Luis Heel, and he was fine. He pitched four innings. He gave up four earned runs, but most importantly, he gave his team a chance to win. And right now they're winning 7-4 in the bottom of the seventh. Runner on for the White Sox. Nobody out. Giancarlo Stanton, two home runs, two two-run home runs. And then Aaron Judge, a solo shot just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Stanton, his numbers now on the season, uh, 270 average. That's a very good average for him. It's a very good average for any major leaguer these days. Uh, Stanton now has nine home runs and... Uh, no, excuse me, nine home runs and 26 RBIs. That's the most on the team, 26 runs batted in. And Stanton has an OPS right now of 829. I don't remember an athlete in New York who has changed the narrative about himself more than Giancarlo Stanton. Let me know if you can think of a similar example. Stanton came to New York right after the Yankees came within a game of going to the World Series in 2017. Obviously... Judge had just been the runner-up for Rookie of the Year, uh, for, for Most Valuable Player. Stanton in the National League was the Most Valuable Player. And now you're putting these two behemoths in the middle of a Yankee lineup that just missed going to the World Series. Now, Stanton's first season was very good. He had 38 homers. He drove in 100 runs. And during July and August of that year, Aaron Judge spent a significant amount of time out of the lineup because he broke a bone in his hand after he was hit by a pitch, and Stanton carried the Yankees' offense. But unfortunately for Stanton, his postseason numbers, and it was his first trip ever to the postseason, his postseason numbers that year were awful. In the Boston series, he was 4 for 18 in four games and did not drive in a run. So that was the lasting impression from Giancarlo Stanton's first season in New York. Doesn't matter that you had 38 homers and 100 runs batted in. What did you do in the postseason? See Rodriguez, comma, Alex. So that was his first year. And then 2019, 
he was limited to just 18 games. He was a non-factor the entire year. He came back for the playoffs. Yankees go to the ALCS against Houston. He hits a home run in his first game, and then he got hurt again. We never saw him again that season. Now you go to 2020, the COVID-shortened 60-game season. Stanton went on the injured list early that year. He ended up playing only 23 out of 60 games. But those playoffs is where everything started to turn for him as a Yankee. Remember how good he was in the 2020 postseason in the bubble? Two games against Cleveland. He had two home runs and three RBIs. And then in the five-game ALDS loss to Tampa Bay, he had four homers and 10 RBIs. Still, Yankee fans weren't sold, largely because he didn't do it in front of them. He did it in empty ballparks in 2020 when there were no fans allowed. Now, he was good last year. And once they put him in the field, I think he started to hit another level Finished with excellent numbers, 35 homers, 97 runs batted in. And here he is right now, and the Yankees are off to this great start. But who's doing it for the Yankees in the lineup? The lineup hasn't been great if you go up and down name by name. It's Judge, it's Stanton, it's LeMahieu, and it's Glaber Torres. I mean, that's it. You know, it's not Josh Donaldson. It's not Aaron Hicks. Connor Falef has has been pretty good. Uh, It's obviously not Joey Gallo. It's the guys who have been here. It's Judge, it's Stanton, it's LeMahieu, and it's Glaber Torres. And the way that Stanton kind of got through those years where he would would get two strikes on him, and you could hear the crowd rustling, starting to moan and groan, like, oh, here we go, another strikeout. He's going to swing at another slider in the dirt and be five feet away from it. But that didn't get in his head. How many guys in New York has that ruined? Look at Sonny Gray. They had to send him to Cincinnati, and now he's pitching in Minnesota because he couldn't handle that. So I can't remember an athlete in New York who has turned the narrative as much as Giancarlo Stanton. He and the Yankees lead the White Sox 7-4 right now. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.